Welcome to episode something of the Psycho Semanticast, legally awesome. known as the Psycho Semantic <laughs> Podcast. Mr. David T. Watson. Hey, I'm excited. I'm, I'm happy to be here. This is probably, this is my second podcast appearance, so hey, I'll take it. <laughs> How are yes. you doing? Pretty good, actually. Uh, getting ready, I think I told you, uh, on vacation, today happens to be the last day of my vacation, so I'm doing the super scramble uh, to get the things done that I should have gotten done on my vacation. And then on top of that, we rec- we just finished recording a couple hours ago. We recorded the last part of our X-Men series and are also did our special edition on Logan. So this is my second like podcasting thing I've done today. Get it all in one day so I don't have to, to worry about it during the week, just be editing during the week, which is always fun. So, <laughs> especially because my computer is slow. And it's a great podcast. We should probably bring it up for the by name for the first time oh, right here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we do the uh, me and my brother Dwayne do the Watch Read Listen podcast. A name that I've sort of grown to hate, but I get it. Like we've we've stuck with it long enough. I keep making suggestions to Dwayne, and he's like, "No, our our name is fine. It embodies what we do." And I was like, "Yeah, that's true." It's one of those like things where you go like, "Well, I don't know if I really like the name, but." You know, it's kind of what our our I guess we have a brand. It's what our brand is, mm. um, and we go all over the place. Is kind of why we picked something similar to that because my whole mine and my brother's whole thing is that we're not ever we've never been genre specific, and we love everything in terms of movies. So it's and books and music. So it's like we wanted to have a show where we could basically be able to pick whatever we want to talk about, whatever like whatever's fitting our fancy. You know, I always joke with people that that they realize that. Any episode you listen to, you can literally hear whatever music I was listening to that day, because that's probably what I'm dropping in the episode. I mean, and that's, and I, I guess the best way I've always put it for us is for the podcast is we try our best to kind of stick to. We talk about adaptation a lot because um, we're both writers, me and my brother are, um, and we we like the art of adaptation is what I've always told people. Like I like looking at like where did a writer come to this decision to do this when they're adapting you know a book into a movie. Or something similar to that and so it's something that we liked but we take huge breaks from that we have recently anyways because both of us have been swamped for time so we've been trying to think of themes that we can at least kind of cover that we never maybe and I've, i have an end goal with Dwayne that i've said we're going to end up covering every john carpenter movie at some <laughs> point because it's one of my favorite filmmakers i was like we'll just end up covering them all whether they have an, anything we have to worry about or not i was like i'm not concerned with that i think the best thing that's come out of it was i didn't know phil longest time that they live was adapted from a short story and that was kind of the one of the cooler things that we both both of us sought out the the short story so we could talk about it in terms of that because i'd never heard anybody talk about they live from an from an adaptive standpoint so it's kind of cool some of the things that we've discovered along the way um and i'm happy that we've had people who like it so i've been happy with that so i'm like oh, i'll take it 
think we legitimately only get feedback from you in court, but <laughs> I know other people listen to it. Yeah, I, I definitely try. Yeah, to. I, I think I, t- I made a joke. I, like, I made a joke that I was like, I, I was like, I'll take Darren in court telling us if they like stuff. So I'm like, I'm cool with that. <laughs> the, those, you're two people that I don't respect enough to be like, okay, if they like an episode or I want to talk about something on an episode, I'm like, I'm absolutely cool with it because at least somebody's talking to us about it too. Because it's like we get nothing most of the time, at least feedback wise. I, it's kind of like being in a, a band the other bands like, but yeah, <laughs> you know, so. People like you and Court and everybody else, Duncan. I could go on for a while. Yeah, um, that's like the, that's like the who's who of like the, the the people that you that you look up to that are like yeah yeah they're they're encouraging and that's kind of the the coolest thing about it and yeah. forming those some of those relationships as well. So was it you and your brother or one or the other also played plays music? Yeah, Dwayne is the is the musician of I I we. I actually the band that he's currently in is basically a reformation of a band that I was in with him and I played bass but I was like I finally when they were getting everything back together again I basically had to make the decision I was like I can either do the podcast or be in a band and I was like well podcasting is a little bit easier time wise for me than being <laughs> in a band anybody who can do who can figure out the way to cram that I you have my admiration because it's the one thing I've tried to do and never been able to like cram the time in wise with like work schedule and kid schedule and you know spouse schedule all that stuff so i i didn't even start entertaining the idea of uh doing a show until my my drumming duties pretty much now are filling in for friends bands and maybe talks of random reunion shows for fundraisers but yeah none of my bands are 100 percent active See, yeah, and that's like, because I know that's a, a time consuming thing. So you have my admiration there for just just being able to do that. I thought it was cool. I think you mentioned to us that you had gone through, uh, you're talking to Dwayne about uh, a couple of venues down here. Because I think you, you actually played through Houston, you said, yeah. uh, once. And I was like, oh, that's really, really cool that you've gotten to like go to all these different places because I never have. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like working vacations. Mm. The longest we were ever out, we did a whole whole tour of the U.S. And about three shows into it, our bass player had to go home because his dad was having a quadruple bypass emergency surgery. Yeah. And he was going to rejoin us at some point on the tour, and he never did. (laughs) So, and his dad's fine. I think he's still alive now. Um, Oh, hey. But a friend of ours in California learned 10 or 12 of our songs and filled in for the week or two we were out there. So, yeah, Houston... Um, that was the only time I'd ever knowingly been to Houston and the people were cool. I thought the people at the bar were kind of dicks to our plight, but in the end, that's not their problem. <laughs> we showed yeah. up as a guitar player. Was it, a drummer. Uh, was it a, what, what, what kind of, what, let me ask uh, the, uh, the Houston question is what, what time of the year did you guys come through? Summertime. Ooh, that's the, that's the fun time of getting to experience Houston. I've lived here for 20 years and I still hate summers here, like with a passion. <laughs> like, I love a lot of the things about Houston. There's a lot of cool things, especially if you go downtown. There's a lot of interesting little hole in the wall places that if you, if you, you know, meet the right people and search them out, they're really, really cool places. But, you know, you end up running into the risk of having, you know, to deal with uh, what it feels like 110 degree heat with the sweltering humidity of the place. It's like, ugh. It's not, not, never liked it. 
<laughs> but you're originally from Tennessee. I grew up in Tennessee from like eight to 16, which I consider like, I guess, formative years. So mm. yeah, Tennessee is kind of where I guess my formative years were, but I've lived, I was born in Texas, um, lived in Colorado Springs for a couple of years when I was a kid. Um, I've been there once. Which is probably still my favorite place in terms of like weather wise. I always, that's my, that's my bar because <laughs> the, the summers are like 92, but they're like dry heat that you can actually like run outside and play in and do all that cool stuff. But like. Yeah, and then we lived in Tennessee for a while. I grew up right outside of Memphis, um, so that was always interesting because I grew up in a very kind of. We were talking about me and my brother once were talking about like I was talking about racism and the, the fact that like my first discovery of it was my best friend in fifth grade um, was black, and I was I never thought about it until this time. But he was basically getting it was basically discriminatory discrimination against him from our teacher of all things. And it was the first time I ever recognized that, like, oh, I, I get, like, that she doesn't like you because you're, you look different. I'm like, that's weird. Um, and it's always kind of shaped. That was a, an incident that really shaped kind of how I look at people. I was like, I don't under, I don't, it's one of, racism has always baffled me because I don't understand, like, looking at somebody and going, like, I don't like you because you look different than I do. I'm just kind of like that has always boggled my mind. But yeah, living in Tennessee, like I lived in a very interesting community because basically we lived in like the poor rural rural area. And but like literally like down the road from us is like this like three story upper middle class neighborhood that we all make and we all went to the same high school together. So it led to some interesting things that you would see at school. So (laughs) like you said, your formative years. But I also hear from other friends in Texas once a Texan, always a Texan. It's very true. It's it, something weird about being from Texas is like we have, you know, those people that you hear about. You know, the joke is always like, oh, of course it, this event happened in Texas. But what's interesting is the amount of like, man, it's open minded. It's like that open minded, independent spirit mm-hmm. also is kind of more towards, I guess, on the left leaning side of things, too. So you get people who are a little bit more confrontational on the other on you know especially against like racism in it of itself like you get that here where people are willing to at least confront when somebody's doing something like fucked up and heinous you know they're willing to say something so it's like i don't know what it is about texas that you get that yeah it is very true once once you're a texan you're always a texan it's just weird love hate relationship you have with the with the state where you're just kind of like we do have a lot of dumb shit that happens here but then we have austin which is Austin wasn't as fun the last time I went to it, but Austin's always been a really interesting, like liberal arts place. I think um, every time I've ever gone there, I really love. I don't like. I never really tried to go see like the quote unquote sites. You know, I've been to the Capitol building, mm-hmm. but I always kind of loved going to like these little like like the hole in the wall places. I've always been more fascinating to me, um, where you get to really experience like good people, you know, good fun, good times, good beer, mm. all that good stuff. So, yeah, and definitely open mindedness that you don't you we get the joke is that you because we have a lot of and I know you guys have reposted a lot of stuff like we have a lot of bills being trying to be passed in our in our in our state that are that are very egregious and that, you know, you get irritated because you're like, I don't know how much I can do except spread the word that this stuff is going down and make sure that you pay attention to local politics as well, because in Texas, there are people that like to cram their beliefs down people's throats. Uh, especially from the religious right side of things. So it's uh, it's interesting. It gets frustrating, though. Cause yeah. you know, like, my favorite thing, though, I will say, like, I think it happened, I think it was this week. Somebody uh, introduced a bill. I think it's basically kind of like a, 
I guess I wouldn't call it a parody bill, but she's trying to push it through where it's like, like, let's hold men accountable. <laughs> mm. If we're going to hold women accountable for abortions, let's go ahead and hold men accountable for, you know, for masturbation. I thought was really funny. I was like, bravo to that senator for even like having the balls to stand up and go, I'm going to introduce this because I think it's, you know, if we're going to talk about the hypocrisy, trying to legislate people's bodies and let's let's see how it, let's flip the coin. And that's that I like that stuff that you get stuff like that in Texas too. Sometimes where we, somebody would be willing to introduce that into law as well and be like, well, it's not going to get anywhere, but it's the idea that let's put the idea into the ether and see where it goes, and maybe we can change some minds. So, because I just don't, I think people don't think about it enough times, and they just get a lot of people get very very caught up in like, you know, especially when you bring religion into it. Like it's, I think people have listened to the podcast would know that me and Dwayne look very differently religion and we grew up in the same house. So it's kind of interesting to hear when people get to hear our perspectives on that. Cause it's very different in terms of when you bring religion into legislation. it's like, I've always told people I have an issue with that. Mm. It always made me uncomfortable when I was a kid. And, uh, that's why I said, I guess slowly, cause I grew up in a very, me and Dwayne grew up in a very like right leaning, uh, household. And we both kind of like veered away from it as we, you know, got away from either the environment that we were in or just, you know, just being more receptive to other people and like listening to their stories has always been kind of as a storyteller. I think that's important to to know, to have that perspective of you. You get enriched as I think as a writer when you're willing to look at other people's perspectives that might differ from your own. And if you're open minded and let it change you, like I think that's a positive as long as you're not talking about doing doing things to other people that you shouldn't be, you know, it, it, as long as you're really looking at the plight of other people, I think it's that's where it's important. Like, I, and that's what I love about, you know, when stories can tell those, you know, kind of things. As you said, as a writer, you are fascinated with adaptations. Yes. Once again, from out there and not from me, somebody comes to me with a great movie. And all I have to do is say yes. You came to me uh, not too long ago and said, I think even apropos of nothing, out of nowhere, we weren't even talking about it. But No, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, I was thinking about this earlier, going like, where did, why did I have this idea that I should ask you well, about doing Fear and Loathing? And It was around your birthday slash yes. his death day. <laughs> but we are going to talk about Terry Gilliam's 1998 yes. adaptation of Dr. Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And I am <laughs> really excited. I almost went and got a bunch of drugs. <laughs> but I didn't. And we'll kind of get to that point somewhere in here that that's not the point of this. Right. Absolutely. So this was like my introduction to Thompson. So that's where I was like, I was really fascinated to talk. It's actually, you know what? I actually think too was that I listened to one of your episodes and you're talking about um, you went into college with the to, with, with the pursuit of journalism, and that was something that I was really interested in when I went into college, but I dropped out really quickly. Um, <laughs> but it was something that I was really fat. I really was a course that I wanted to take. Um, and when I think I heard you say that, and then my brain around the time of you know his death date and i was like maybe that would be the the, the interesting angle and i just threw it out there to you because i was like if i all i can do is ask and all you can do is either say yes or no so <laughs> i don't know why i would have said no kudos again sir for bringing this up 
um, this was your introduction to Thompson. Did you see it when it came out? Or no, it's it, it took a couple of years for me. I had a um, I re, I remember this movie being the movie that I kept going like oh, it's the 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 Johnny Depp in Vegas movie that looked really strange. I remember seeing the trailers for it because I think I was about seventeen when it came out, and it was luckily only a couple of years later. I was about nineteen twenty. I was a little bit before I got married to my first wife. We had some friends who kind of pushed us into like we need to watch this movie. I can't believe you've never watched this movie before. And I was kind of like, okay, let's let's do it. So I think we all got a bunch of beer. We all sat down and popped in an old VHS tape. So we watched this on VHS. <laughs> and uh, and just and I actually just was like, besides the outrageousness of the story, I was kind of like, oh, this is based off a book. And the guy who wrote it, you know, was more known for like these sort of like journalistic entries. And it was already something that I'd already been thinking about with college that I was like, man, this is really, really fascinating. And that got me down the wormhole of, of, um, really getting into his work uh, and reading it. I think I've read the first three volumes, probably not everything in them, but his first three like collected volumes of works. I think like the great shark hunt songs for the doomed and I'm blanking on the third one, but um, it wasn't yeah, generation no, swine. Was it? That's a, I think that was, yeah. Generation swine was the other one. And I've read like the other weird ones, like kingdom of fear is one that I, cause it's like part biography, part, or part auto part autobiography and part um, just other weird entries of what was going on in his life at the time. And so like every single one of his books, I've either I've picked them up and at least read something. And it's always really fascinating to know that you got into this guy because of this strange movie, which I still to this day is like, it's one of my favorites, but it is a strange movie. And I can see a movie that puts people off at maybe, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it got so. horrible reviews when it came out. Yeah. It only grossed about $10 million, half its budget, to start. I know that's changed since DVDs and VHS releases, but... Oh, yeah. And it's got that great Criterion disc. I saw you pop, you brought out yours, and that's exactly what I had, too, because I was like... I remember owning this on, like, the Bare Bones DVD for the longest time, and then the Criterion Collection Edition came out, and I was like, I'm buying this. Like, there's no... <laughs> There's no question about it. And that stuff has a lot of... If anybody who wants to get into Thompson, too, that's got a lot of great resources on it um, if you buy the Criterion Collection edition of it. so When this came out, I started hearing uh, comparisons of Thompson to um, you know Kerouac and Burroughs and stuff. And I had gotten into them really hardcore maybe four or five years earlier. Okay. And then I saw some interview with Thompson... <laughs> you watch one interview with him and you're just kind of like this dude's a character and like i want to know more about this guy because you see he's... him on conan o'brien oh yeah the infamous um the one where they go shooting mm -hmm. oh yeah it's one of my favorite clips i like to show it to everybody every once in a while i was like if you want to get an idea of this dude like i was like here you go here's him in this really strange element of drinking and shooting because i think were they shooting um was he shooting copies of his own book there was there were those there were stuffed animals yeah <laughs> uh, you know I think he had cardboard cutouts of like different politicians as well I'm sure which wouldn't surprise me yeah I, he he had to have had a thousand cardboard cutouts of Nixon mailed to him without question or without request absolutely because <laughs> I was talking to Dwayne about that um, before we got on because we finished recording and I was telling him how I was like. 
you know, what I really love, I w- what I wish I was seeing now, and you, you might point me in the direction of somebody who might be doing this, but I was like, man, it would be really nice if we had a journalist who thought of our current, well, you know, 45, the guy I refused to call by his quote unquote title. But mm-hmm. um, if somebody like had that sort of just malicious, but like vehemence that Thompson had for Nixon and they would just barrel towards, you know, 45 the same way. I was like, that would be great to see. Like, could you imagine Thompson in the day and age? It's kind of like the same thing with Bill Hicks. Could you imagine Bill Hicks in the day and age of Trump? Could you imagine Hunter S. Thompson in in Trump land? I mean, bless. He had fun enough with Bush and with Nixon. And it was like, could you? Be- I don't. I don't even want to know. It's almost like he t- he he got out before he had to like realize that like what would happen if that ever happened. So it might put might have pushed him over the edge to kill himself again. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man, it'd be cool if somebody was like that, but. I mean, in terms of the movie too, what got me on board too is I'm a huge Terry Gilliam fan. So it's like I'm I'm definitely he's one of my favorite directors. Um, Brazil is my favorite movie of all time. Um, if anybody wants to listen to past episodes of of the our podcast, I've I've talked about it enough, and it's really one of those weird moments where it's actually mine and Dwayne's favorite movie. Like both of us agree <laughs> on something. <laughs> so getting me to watch a Terry Gilliam movie is not, you know, it's very much a natural thing. Um, oddly enough, Dwayne has never seen this one is what we keep. We, we, so we, on our episode on Terry Gilliam, we didn't even talk about fear and loathing that much because he's never seen it. So, so hopefully this gets him, maybe he'll actually finally watch it. So, cause I told him we were doing this. So you got some nice plugs on the, on the new episode because, oh, and, uh, I'll tell you to, per, you can cut this out if you want to, but, uh, Dwayne was, uh, you got the shout out from Dwayne for the enemy mind episode. He said he really, really loved that episode. So he gave it a shout out on the, on the episode that's going to come up. Oh, so, awesome. Thank you. Oh yeah, he, he's he's a huge fan of that movie, and he really really enjoyed your conversation with Danny. And I was like, that's awesome. Oh, I was like, I'll let him know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been I've been trying to talk with him more often because I feel like, and you're great, but I feel like I only talk to you, and I don't want to <laughs> seem like I'm not trying to talk to him. Oh yeah, no, I'm a little bit more of the Dwayne always says Dwayne's the smart one. I'm the more outgoing one. So I'm the one that usually people are more like he gets once he gets more comfortable with like talking to people, he's kind of like, oh, he's a little bit easier to to get a hold of. But uh, yeah, he yeah, I remember it was cool that he brought he brought it up and he was like, yeah, really, their enemy mind episode was great because I want people to go ahead and go listen to that. So I was like, oh, cool. Like, I haven't listened to it yet because I've been on vacation and I for some reason I only listen to podcasts at work. And so being on vacation, it's like I haven't had the time to sit down. Like I have a backlog of a week of podcasts to catch up on. So (laughs) I'll have a fun week. That'll be, yeah, I have a nice backlog. I usually listen to most of my, well, I used to listen to most of my podcasts to and from school because I've ended up finishing my degree a couple years ago. I took a lot of time off to be that guy in a band. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I would listen on the bus or whatever to school. So we get a guest appearance from Dalton. Hey. He said hi. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> it's Darren. He can't hear you. I have my headphones yeah. in, so I'm, t- I'm relaying to him. Okay. Can I finish up? Yes. Okay. I love you. Love you too, Daddy. Okay, close the door on your way out. And be good. Listen to Sam. Deal? Okay. You've heard the show before. You know, sometimes we don't even talk about the movie. I know we're going to talk <laughs> about the movie here, but... 
The idea of trying to cover this in any conventional press sense was absurd. If you haven't seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, it originally was serialized in Rolling Stone, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. 1971, The Death of the American Dream. Hunter Thompson goes to Las Vegas to cover the Mint 400 motorcycle race. It's hard to know what's the first thing to say about this movie. We were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs begin to take hold. It makes you go like, what is that? What kind of ride are you into? Cause I think, yeah, the, you were talking about the advertising. I was like, yeah, the advertising made it seem like this weird, like buddy road trip movie, which I guess it is on a superficial <laughs> level, but you don't get, yeah, you don't get anywhere prepared. Cause I think it's got that, that great, um, intro with, um, that these are a few of my favorite things song playing. Mm-hmm. And it's like that weird blood splatter. That's very, you know, that very, you know, Ralph Steadman, like blood splatter. And then it's like you see the title and it says that and you just cut to this like roaring vehicle that's running down the highway. You're just kind of like, what is this going to be? Because they kind of like one of the things I like about this movie, too, is like if if you're into it, is that it very much sets up like it kind of clues you in to what you're going to what you're getting yourself into, like right off the bat, which is what I love about it, because it's like you pretty much are going to be you're taking on a really wild ride throughout the whole thing. I think for me too was how dark some of the some of the areas for this movie are. I was like, this is some of this is some pretty dark material when you think about it. Um, especially the Doctor Gonzo. Some a lot of the Doctor Gonzo stuff is very very dark. Um, yeah. I feel tonally, it's just very. He was a character. Like I've done. A, I haven't done. I, I wish I'd done a little bit more uh, research on the uh, uh, Oscar Acosta. Yeah. Um, Cause like, he's a fascinating character just in and of himself. When you realize, you know, that he was based on him and like, he's a fascinating, he just says fascinating, the character. So can you imagine like how much of it makes you go like, how much of this is real? How much of it isn't, especially when you realize it's based off of a book and the claim is that, you know, this is, this, this happened sort of, um, I think it was what Thompson's kind of gone back and said, well, the trip happened. (laughs) (laughs) He might not have done as much drugs. Yeah. He said, nobody could have survived that no yeah and that that's one of the things i i like about pure gonzo journalism the creativity that it allows yeah going to one of the first episodes of watch read listen that i definitely remember listening to was your v for vendetta and what did uh evie evie's dad say about artists use lies to tell the truth right and that's that's the uh the flowing creativity of thompson is his language and the his turn of phrase oh yeah just touched up like frogs in a dynamite pond (laughs) just always makes me smile no matter how many times i've heard him say it yeah and it's something very uniquely like i don't think anybody could ever yeah like touch what he does as far as like the way he frames things um it's it's interesting um trying to think of like you like i I should have written down some examples but i'm like yeah that's it's one of those things where he does this great job of like like you said that stream of conscious creativity it envelops you when you read it because i remember this is one of those books that i could like i just i would read it in the break room at the place i was working at the time and go oh like you and you just you kind of everything in the background kind of goes away and you just kind of let all of this roll over you, whether it's good or bad or whatever kind of weird trip he was going through at the time when he was writing it. 
it was like, oh yeah, this is it, the world envelops you, and you almost feel like you're there. And um, yeah, it's that stream of consciousness and just allowing yourself to kind of just flow in the moment. I guess this would be the best way to put it. That was one of the things that really par- was partial to my original intent to go into journalism was that not that I ever thought I could be as good as him, but my parents got me into politics real early and I I wasn't seeing interesting journalism, I guess. Right. I think for me it was also, um, and I, you've mentioned it on a past show, um, for me, it was actually journalism was uh, All the President's Men mm. was the movie that made me go like, yes, I want to do that. And then like that natural progression to writing was like when you get to Thompson, it's like in that same vein of like, oh, well, you could do this. And it looks, sounds like it's a lot more fun to go that route, <laughs> even though there's like that investigative journalism aspect of All the President's Men is something that I've always been attracted to. Um I haven't seen as it spotlight is the other is the the latest movie which kind of has something similar the new one about the, concept. the church yes and I haven't seen it yet but like I like that kind of investigative journal so this weird that weird mishmash of I love investigative journalism but I also love this idea of this wild just sort of crazy no holds barred journalism that Thompson was doing so yeah immersive journalism or whatever right uh, and that. And yeah, but that was the thing. I, 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 that, I think that was also something that clued me into like, hey, we should talk about Fear and Loathing was also like, oh, yeah, but we both kind of like I'm, you mentioned all all the president's men. And I was like, that's the, what got me into the, the idea of journalism. But really, Mike, what influenced me was more writers like Thompson more than anything. I don't know if you've seen the uh, uh, the paper. No, I haven't. I haven't heard of I don't know if I've heard of that or not. If. Uh, I saw that after All the President's Men, and it's similar. It's a New York City paper in the 80s, and back when, you know, everybody had their desks and their typewriters and people smoked and reporters (laughs) cracked the case and everybody drank and all. There's... I, I I would definitely recommend checking that out at some point. It's Michael Keaton, Marissa Tomei, Randy Quaid, uh... Robert Duvall, I think it's, it's okay. a lot of people. It might be, uh, oh God, what's his name? The guy that did Spinal Tap. Um, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. Yeah, I was gonna say Rob Reiner is on the tip of my tongue. It might be Robert Carl Reiner. Yeah, no, I'll definitely write that down because I definitely would like to check that out. Like I said, Spotlight's the same way. I've like I've been meaning to like watch it, but just haven't had a chance to. I think it's like, and I think it's on Netflix. So it's in my queue, ready to go. Same thing that I love about like um, Zodiac. Uh, for instance, is the same way because they approach it from that similar like bullpen looking at a case kind of thing too. So mm. and things in that similar, similar vein. This is not that at all. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that, that, that's the thing that I love about Fear and Loathing is, is a journalist who's literally he's almost what I love is he sit out on an assignment and he literally is doing everything to avoid the assignment because that's not what he really thinks the story is. I think that's kind of the way that uh, reading a lot of his different essays too, you realize that that's kind of the approach he always took was like, I'm going to let things just kind of go. I'm going to talk about more about the American spirit and what's going on in the country than I am about. It's more, more important to him than the actual facts of the case. You know, it's what I've always kind of noticed, what I, what, what I've always appreciated anyways. So, yeah, he, uh, I, and I'm not sure if I ever read or heard anything where he says he actually came up with the idea for the story, but it, 
seemed just fitting that his elegy for the American dream takes place just on the other side of the 60s in Las Vegas, where it sort of caters to what people might consider our most ancient Rome traits that we have. Endless buffets, endless drinking, ill-informed police. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's that's sort of the second half of the movie, but... Right. Oh, yeah, like the... uh, Because, yeah, because it comes out of nowhere. The... uh, Is it the... um, What was it? Was it called the... I don't... It was the drug enforcement, like, thing that he went to. Yeah, it was a district attorney's conference. Okay, that's what I was like. I was like, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's like, no, it starts with a D. I was like, I know it had to do with, and I know it's got that great like thing about they're talking about drugs and the, <laughs> the the same myths about drugs that everybody believes, kind of thing. And no, you're dope fiend. All right. No, you're dope fiend. Your life may depend on it. You will not be able to see his eyes because of T shades but his knuckles will be white from inner tension. And his pants will be crusted with semen from constantly jacking off when he can't find a rape victim. He will stagger and babble when questioned. That sort of like weird reefer madness, like look at at those things, which is funny because like, I, it's true though, because like I grew up like as a, in a conservative household where that was the approach to drugs. Like my dad still has those those same night late late 60s early 70s beliefs on like marijuana you're just kind of like come on dude like <laughs> you have to get past it at some point <laughs> yeah, stop listening to jeff's sessions right oh we've you made sucking all in part- some hate right there oh we it's it's the idea of every single time i read something and you're to go like oh my god like let's dismantle at like we want to take let's say what uh 60 plus years of progress and we're gonna literally dial it back to what the 40s or the 50s uh, what we've some weird idealized time that like doesn't really exist me and Dwayne were talking about this because Dwayne's huge on history and he goes what's funny is that all the things that people idealize about the 50s really weren't that true mm-hmm. so it's like this weird fictional version that's like their, mem- their your brain you know how your brain processes things sometimes and your memory of something is going to be a little bit different than how it actually was it feels like we are being led by people who think this way like they have this weird idealized memory of the fifties and it's like, but that really probably wasn't the truth whatsoever. Right. Well, they're the, it's just a, the it's TV amazing. politicians remembering America like it was on TV. Right. Right. Yep. I made a good point. Yeah. It's like, it is you. Cause I know we've had a conversation no or two about this, but, <laughs> but it really is it's like, yeah, this, this notion of tell like people, yeah, people remember like tell they're thinking of like what leave it to beaver was. They're not really thinking about what reality was. Um, and it's very, yeah. As you mentioned, Jeff, Jeff Sessions is one of the one of the, the cabinet picks that makes me kind of most, he's everything that you hate about the South. As somebody who grew up in the South, he's in, is not ever had those attitudes. He's that, he's that guy that makes you go, you're why people think we're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I've had, I had, I had Rick Perry as my governor for enough times to be like, you're white people think we're dumb. Thanks. Great. Well, at least he's, well, maybe he was. I know there was uh, a Southwest governor that thought wind, what's wind power called? It's got a more scientific name than that, but. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. So we'll go with wind power. That sounds, we'll go scientific on it. Wind power. 
yeah, well, I guess to stick with it could be, could be, let's say this is possibly a direct quote from the stupid governor that said wind farms would use up all the wind and solar farms yes. would use up all the sun. <laughs> all the sun. You don't know how science works, do you, man? Uh. <laughs> well, we've got, see, my, my senators cancel each other out. I've got Rob Portman and Sherrod Brown. And pretty much Sherrod Brown votes against everything Rob Portman votes for. Okay. <laughs> um, I think hmm? it's like, who do I have? I've, I've got Cruz. That's enough right there. Ugh. Well, we've got John Kasich. Okay. That's right. Yeah. The the guy that everybody said was perfectly moderate, even though he's a religious nut. Right. Yeah. Cause he's like, he was, I forgot that he was from Ohio. So I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, so like, I could never, he was one of those ones that I didn't, I can never remember who he was. I'd always hear him brought up a conversation and be like, who? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's openly less crazy than a lot of his contemporaries, but that doesn't necessarily reflect in his legislation. Interesting. He just doesn't talk about it all the time. He did do stuff like he expanded Medicare in Ohio when a lot of the GOP governors were reeling it back. Right. He is pretty Betsy DeVos ish when it comes to schools. Oh yeah. You ever want to, I'll recommend this. If you ever want to reach out to Dwayne and talk education, uh, there's a reason he's not a school teacher anymore. And that's what he did for the longest time. He was a high school teacher. He, he quit. He was doing, um, he was in like early college high school, like was what he was teaching. So, oh. cause that was his path is he wants to be, a, he wanted to go and be a professor. He's still kind of waiting on that. He's kind of doing what he can to kind of build up a little bit more of his stuff, but he's done a lot of teaching for some of the, like, I guess, uh, for the colleges, but never gotten hired on as a direct teacher. And, uh, yeah, if everyone talk education, like he'll tell you, and, like no child left behind made him has made his brain just like it took everything out of him as far as teaching goes, like the love of teaching, like, and actually wanting to like educate people as opposed to teach them to take tests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to get on a good roll with him, like have him on for that would probably be a, a good recommendation there. Well, He's got I, a lot of good horror stories. I definitely will reach out to him because, um, I, you know, doing school related movies. Yeah. So we can bitch about the crazy stuff. Betsy oh, does. Ooh. Her and Sessions were the two that I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't, um, they just, I don't know what it is too. I always tell people like when you grow up, I don't know what it, it depends on how you, how you approached it in, in rural South. When you grow up lower middle class, it's weird that people like either, they either have a strong affinity for the rich. They think, Oh, the rich are smarter than us. Or you grow up like me and my brother where we're very much like, don't, I, I have an automatic distrust for rich people. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like either you you go one way or the other. I mean, look at what got elected president. So you know, it's just interesting that you go one way or the other on it. Like you either have a, you think, oh well, they're so much better than us, or you go the opposite way where you just, it's an automatic mistrust. Like I remember me and my brother we grew up referring to uh, corporate executives as suits. We don't like the suits. It's something we used to like a joke between the two of us that we've had since we were kids. We don't like the suits. <laughs> They tell you what to do, and that's uh, a problem. I totally see that. That was what, uh, uh, sort of like the film that you and I are holding back for a special episode. Yes. <laughs> um, I will give away one bit to continue my story. 
at some point we're gonna not you and i this is the bit that i'm giving away the movie will not be 1984 which will also happen at some point but you and i have picked out a different film yes i'm not saying you can't do 1984 i'm just trying to give as much misinformation out there get all shy and spicy (laughs) so none of the listeners know what the hell i'm talking about Hey, I've done everything in my power to like. I, I think I've told. I haven't told even told Dwayne. I like. I've I've been mum on it. I'm like, no. <laughs> y'all hear it when y'all get to it and get it good because it's a. There's a lot to to process with it. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not giving that away. I think it's a special one, like you said. Like I think when we first started talking about it, I was like, that's a you. You were the one who's like, that's this is a special one, and I completely agree. Um, and it's still a movie I haven't seen it in a long time, but it's been it's been on my mind. So I'll let you know that. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, it's 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 always on the tip of my fingers when I think about throwing a movie in. Like I said, I got a lot of my early politics from my parents. You know, they used to take me to rallies and stuff in D.C. And we were always boycotting something or something to that effect. But also my dad, if I think about it right now, he used to watch a lot of political movies. He introduced me to Enemy Mine. And all of that other stuff. But the movie that you and I are going to do was on a VHS tape with, I think, Johnny Got His Gun, <laughs> Seven Days in May, and Fail Safe. Oh, so interesting. Just the politics movies. Yeah. And Fail Safe actually is a movie that I'm, I've told Dwayne I want to cover at some point in the future. We have a couple of ones that we've been throwing out that are like based off of books that we both like as an excuse to read the book kind of thing so mm. like i never have but um no it's that reminds me because that's, that was my childhood my grandpa was one of the first people to buy like he had a he had the two tape set up and he would basically rent movies and we would have i grew up with cassette tapes yeah with three to four movies on them that he would make for us and we, we, we call him the, he's one of the original vhs bootleggers just he didn't care he wasn't making money off it. he's just like i'm just giving them out you know yeah, for the good. Even to my kids, so we'd have a weird like mishmash of like I think um, I think I grew up with one that had like it was I think it was the Goonies, Lost Boys, and something else that I'm drawing a blank on. I think the Last Starfighter, nice. and then like some and then some like Chippendale like cart- old school cartoons. It was a weird <laughs> mishmash of of stuff that he would just throw it all on there. He'd just rent a bunch of tapes and then he'd put it all on there, and we're like, okay. So that's how we grew up. I grew up the same way. Like, just you watch these weird collection of movies and you just put it on because you're like, I don't want to rewind it. Let's keep, let, let it keep going. Let it ride. I think maybe one of them had Starman on it because that Starman, you'll, I, we've referred to it enough on our, on our episodes because we'll talk, we'll do an episode on it at one point. But it's like Starman was like our mom's favorite John Carpenter movie, but we didn't know it was John Carpenter at the time. So, because we grew up with that movie. Our mom would watch it. She had that movie and Lady Hawk are the two movies that I grew up with my mom with. <laughs> Oh, she would watch them every time they came on like TNT or TBS or one of those like back when they were like the lower rent stations that they just run movies all day on Saturday. Always oh, one of the weirdest things. I think Lady Hawk is one of my wife's favorite movies. I have not. I have weird. I've not seen it since I was a kid and I have like weird. I don't think I've ever sat and watched the whole thing. So I have these like weird like I know elements of it, but I have and they're all like fragmented in my brain. But it's like. I'm sure not like oh we yeah, we got off we got off we got off topic which is fine um, yeah that's, that's I drank I, I'm on, <laughs> I'm rolling on like four cups of coffee today because I didn't get a great night's sleep so I'm like way too caffeinated right now but 
But no, like, yeah, because like you've talked about, you've got a good literary background that I'm kind of impressed by because I've never read Burroughs. I've never read Kerouac or any of that stuff. I've always wanted to, but I'm like, I don't know where to start. <laughs> it's kind of a <laughs> thing I've always told people. Like, I don't really know where to start, but it's stuff that I always has been, there are authors that always somehow, because of my love for Thompson too, like they always end up coming in, in back in like some sort of circle. Like you should read this then. So I'm like, you hearing you mention it too, I was like, yeah, I, I can do need to like spend some time with a couple of those writers at some point that I haven't yet. The more I get to know you, I might be able to point you towards some books that I think you might be your best entryway into those those guys. That would be awesome. Most people, first thing of Kerouac's they read is On the Road. Right. There's a lot of hitchhiking, though, in that, but it is similar to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It's A lot of it is Jack Kerouac and Neil Cassidy going out to California and okay. back. But it's the 50s, I believe. I, it's been a while since I've read it, but... yeah. Swear, I think my introduction, to, the first time I ever heard of Jack Kerouac too was on an episode of Quantum Leap of all things. I think they, I think they, he like comes across, they they would always put, throw like a character from history in there. And I would swear like there was one episode where he was at like a diner, like on the California highway and like he shows up out of nowhere. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of him. And I was just like, yeah, that's interesting. Like it's interesting, like the things you remember when you go like, oh yeah, I remember hearing the first time I heard about this was it's a strange story but yeah that's weird <laughs> um but yeah on the road I, I have a friend uh on facebook who's been generally like pushing me to try to read on the road and i was like i just haven't gotten to it yet but I'm going to at some point because it's one of her favorite books and i was like ah she keeps t- talking about it and she's like you should definitely check that out especially since like you said like when people find out you're a thompson fan they'll they're like well have you read this and have you read this and you go oh man like i need to need to diverse like try to get a little bit more i always try to look at something when i'm especially because like i think when you go to like most bookstores they have them in do they have them usually have them in current events is what Dwayne was telling me he's that thought was really strange and it's it's weird with uh on the road is first read it i was 14 or 15 and it looked a lot more sparkly than uh years and years later uh, we were covering it in one of my classes in college and when you've grown up a little bit more and maybe traveled a little bit more it's not as romantic it's still great literature right. but I'm not imagining the everything that he does but there's a lot of interesting stuff there's a part where I mean there's 1950s migrant workers and stuff okay. in there and if you do like it i haven't seen the movie okay but there's a lot of spin-off beat movies once you've met neil cassidy then there is a movie that i really like called the last time i committed suicide okay that's based off a letter that neil cassidy wrote to jack kerouac after they had met and become friends and it's uh it did pretty well at, in the independent film awards runs but uh thomas jane plays neil cassidy adrian brody plays one of his friends and (laughs) keanu reeves plays some (laughs) drunk he knows at a pool hall that's interesting but anyway going off on a tangent talking about hunter thompson i guess that's kind of fitting but uh yeah like you said he didn't really cover the race i think at some point 
when he's trying to flee the hotel, he says he didn't even know who won the race. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that's that's accurate because I think the last time we see him actually even out there is the he's in the doom buggy and he's got the the rag over his face and he's trying to like somehow carry a beer through a desert storm, which is one of my favorite scenes because he looks so disappointed when he like dumps out the the mug like oh Ooh. it's all sludge. Sporting yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I this is what yeah this is definitely one of those movies that I will say in terms of the movie I probably adopted some of the more strange like lines from it because i thought they were funny to me because mm-hmm. uh, i love to go up to people and be like you know sometimes i'll just like in the middle of a conversation with friends just be like you know let's get down to brass tacks how much for the ape <laughs> and we're usually have been drinking and having fun or whatever like that but it's become one of those random lines that i just drop into conversation people are like what or people laugh because they get it you know it just depends on who you're with so I think uh, Johnny Depp took the ape statue from in front of the what was it called? The I think it was called the Bazooka Circus in the. It was one of the movie. oh yeah because it was yeah it's supposed to be Circus Circus and they had to change it and I, my brain was like I remember I can't remember the name but it was something like the Bazooka Circus that's so like something strange like that because they couldn't get any of the rights to any hardly any of the places were like we don't want to be associated with this film we don't yeah, even want to be associated with the book probably. <laughs> They couldn't even get the rights. I think it was a money issue, though. They couldn't get the rights to use "Sympathy for the Devil." In yeah, let's see. Yeah, because like that was like there's a couple of I'm trying to remember. There's another song that I remember like that was supposed to be the opening. Might have been "Sympathy for the Devil." I don't remember. Yeah, because they got, I think they got Jumping Jack Flash for the end credits, which is the first time I ever heard a Rolling Stone song that made me go like I kind of like this song. I had never really liked anything by them before. And it was hearing that I was like, I really like this song now. So I went back and listened to a lot of the early '70s um, Rolling Stone stuff. So uh, just based off of like this movie, for instance. And then it was the first time I heard. I had a friend who'd been trying for years to get me into the Dead Kennedys, and it was their version of Viva Las Vegas that kind of like hooked me in, too, as well. So that's the other thing this movie is good for. Because like, yeah, there's a couple of like bands that I probably would never have like looked at anything else they did if I hadn't. I heard it like in in the film itself. I can't think of a Terry Gilliam soundtrack that I didn't like. I don't yeah. know if he, how heavy handed he is with that. I know um, for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, he you probably already know this, but when he came on to direct, he rewrote the script. Yes, and was it? Uh, the original director was Alec. Was it Alex Cox? Was that? yeah from uh, Repo Man. Yeah, Alex yeah. Cox. They said every line of dialogue was in the was in the book, and yeah. all the scenes were in the book aside from partial changes. Originally, Gilliam didn't get the main writing credit. Yeah, him and his like the r- guy he was writing with at the time. Um, he wrote a couple other movies with him as well. Uh, uh, Tony Grissoni. Um, and oddly enough, he would the main character of um, he took his friend's name that he, he was writing with, and that was going to be the main character in his Man Who Killed Don Quixote film. Um, but he wrote this with him, and they wrote it in like really quickly too. It was we're talking like three or four days. They did not have a long period. They didn't have a long gestation time, but they were familiar with the book. And yeah, because they were like, it's one of those weird things where the WGA is like, well even though we know it's based off a book and you guys might have written what is the 
the blueprint for the film. These other guys wrote a version first, and we're going to give them credit. WGA has weird, weird rules when it comes to it. And I've had to study some of that as a, as a screenwriter um, when we would submit I submitted like three or four screenplays back when in my early 20s and you have to learn some of the, the weird rules <laughs> the WGA does they're pit, they're pit bulls too when it comes to they won't they will put up a fight you, you have to really kind of push them towards even remotely doing a change and they eventually did I think did do the change um, to where they both got credit for it but they made that it's a really great short film uh, I think it's called The Dress Pattern yes and it's um, basically they're basically saying you know this is comes from the same cloth but the, the 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 blueprint the dress pattern is different you know we've we've it, we've done a slightly different change on it which is really like you said like about it about adaptation is really interesting to see um i have to uh, it's been a long time since i looked at some of the special features but i remember them talking about uh, it was like, like it was either the tone of the characters uh, in cox's version of the of the script that wasn't working it was like the tone was off and it wasn't quite nailing the characters that came off. I think he was saying it came off a little goofier and a little bit more sillier than you know than what they wanted. Um, especially Thompson, he was afraid of becoming a caricature of himself more than he already was, right? Yes. Have you ever listened to the um, commentary with him? I actually listened to the commentary. It's on the Criterion disc. I listened to that in preparation actually because I was like, I've seen this movie way too many times. So I was like, I'm gonna listen to the to the to the Thompson commentary while I watch it. <laughs> And he's like, it's like he likes the movie, but he doesn't like the movie. Like he likes, he doesn't like the way he's portrayed. I think there's a scene where Johnny Depp throws like coins at a the midget waiter. Oh yeah, a short person waiter. He hated that scene. He's like, I would never do that. That's rude. Um, yeah, he's a southern gentleman. He's just, oh yeah, was just crazy. He was, I don't get why Depp did that. He would just sit there and blame uh, Johnny Depp for like when he'd be like, I'd never do that. I don't know what he was thinking. He always calls he always calls Johnny Depp to the Colonel. That's oh what's right, funny. yeah. Um, and then my brain froze on a second. I was like, wait, I had a, the rest of that story was really funny. Oh, there's a section two in the commentary if you get a list where he calls and harasses um, Johnny Depp's. Uh, well, back in the day, it would be like we call it voicemail now, but um, you know, voice message machine or whatever he had because he had like the drug speech. You know, know your drug fiend. I guess Johnny Depp had put that as his like message on, you know, if you called him and got his, his answering machine. And so they call him and basically Hunter proceeds to call him Benicio del Toro and somebody else and just leave these, the most harassing uh, voicemails I've ever heard a human being leave to another human being. I was like, well, that's, and he makes the screeching noises too, from time to time, just randomly out of nowhere. I think I fell asleep to the commentary once, like, like, uh, like when I first bought the Criterion, I was like, "Oh, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to the commentary with with uh, with Thompson on it." And you know, I somehow fell asleep, and I woke up to uh, to him screeching and and just hooting and hollering in the middle of the commentary, going like, "Oh my god!" Like, it it makes you more endearing to him too, because you're like, "This guy exists," and he's and you don't know what 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 quite to make of it. Um, have you read any of his later stuff, like? Or are you, are you which what what area what era are I guess are you more familiar with of of Thompson? I would say I've covered most I've read most of his stuff at different points. I kind of went chronologically at first after yeah. reading Fear and Loathing. Then I went Hell's Angels. I guess chronologically yes. in release because Rum Diary came out sometime after 
Fear and Loathing the movie did, I think. Yeah, but it did. The Great Shark Hunt. Um, yeah. A lot of his, a lot of his correspondence. When you're talking about him That's calling some... Johnny Depp and stuff, that made me think about his war with LL Bean's return policies and shit. <laughs> I love his like, yeah. I've got the first volume. I found a hardback version of the first volume of like his his letters and stuff, and I was like, because I'd read a paperback version like years ago that somehow I ended up having to sell off or whatever, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna buy this. It's a hardcover copy of it, so I was like, uh, is it Fear and Loathing in America? Yeah, I want to say that it's fantastic. Um, I haven't read the other one. Um, there's a couple volumes out now, I think, but I remember reading the first volume. Might have been the second volume. I can't try to remember which one it is. Um, and just being like that—that that was the thing that made me really connect to him even more as like just a person. Because like you said, like he's—he's. He's, you read those things, and he could be venomous, but also like you said, he's a southern gentleman as well. <laughs> so it'd be this threatening air of. I'm being nice to you now. <laughs> Could we please take care of this? You, and it you, is you don't want me on your hands. Like he says yeah. to to God in the movie. Oh, yeah. If you don't get me out of this, you'll be on your hands. Hold on one second. Let me grab something real quick. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. In a world gone mad. As you know, the doomsday clock is a symbolic clock face analogizing humankind's proximity to extinction. One man must fight to survive on the global junkie of the future. You maniacs! You blew it up! Ah, damn you! God! Damn you Which versus the Doomsday Clock is that man's story. His search for entertainment is transmitted across time and space for your listening pleasure on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and your Android device. This podcast is not fit for human consumption. Side effects include laughter, concern, nausea, vomiting, and burden for more purposes. The producers accept our responsibility for any side effects, illness, or event prank you might cause. My event guarantee is worth nothing. Zero, 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 uh, overall, no sausage. In short, you get nothing. Nothing. Good day, sir. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. 
No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How be did a rough you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Um, what were we talking about? Hmm. Oh, uh, oh, correspondence. Yeah, yeah his and... correspondence. Did you? I forget which collection it was in, but one of the things that I learned that I thought was great was he was when he was first started working out of he after he got was it honorably discharged from the Air Force? I can't remember. I thought he got. I thought he was because I remember he. That's where he started. Uh, some of his like reporting came out of when he was still in the Air Force. So I want to say, yeah, but I want to say he was honorably discharged. I think, I think he fulfilled all his duties. Yeah, I think he might have just been released early. I, I I feel like I remember at the beginning of one of his collections, there's a photocopy of a letter saying, while he's great, he just is not Air Force material. Right. Um <laughs> Which is but, funny because, like, yeah, my, my grandpa is in, is was a is a retired Air Force guy, so I could see that they'd be very polite about it too. So, Air yeah. Force people are interesting. <laughs> They're not as go hung meathead as a lot of the other military branches generally are. <laughs> I can't remember if it's Navy or Air Force, but uh, there's an older guy down my block that was the first to hang the upside down flag after the election. Because I remember. Early on in my drinking times, legal drinking times, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I used to go to the Irish Festival in Columbus every year. Okay. When it's really just kind of a big headache. I don't know if you were familiar with the band Flogging Molly, but yes. their drummer is from here. So okay. they used to play every year in the neighborhood of Dublin in Columbus, the Dublin Irish Festival. I got will willingly kidnapped, I would say, by a group of really cool old dudes that uh, took part in the Normandy invasion. Okay. And they were some of those guys that shaved their hair into mohawks, and they saw me in line, and they just started talking to me, and we ended up hanging out like for a few hours. My wife right. always says I'll find one of the oldest people in the room, and talk to them forever oh no i i like that's where as um when uh me and christina got together we were one of her biggest things was that she loves hearing like stories from like because my grandfather was in the he's in the air force and he's been around to a bunch of different places and so you know just talk she's like just the storytelling like she goes i understand why you and your brother are are writers because she goes listening to 
probably the stories that you guys heard from your grandpa. And that's just, I'm the same way. I, like I'm more willing to talk to like somebody a little bit older because you get some really interesting stories, especially if you meet the right person and you're just kind of surprised at like, oh, like some of the um, you realize that some of those old school attitudes that, you know, are problematic. Not everybody even back then had those same things. You know, it's really interesting when you can find that person that wasn't that way when, you know, the good old times that people talk about, I guess. Uh, that's somebody, I don't know if you've read uh, Studs Turkel, a person, not a book. Um, you've brought it up before, and I, I think... A, um, sorry. It was on a thread before that we've talked about, because I think um, I, have my, <laughs> um, I have a friend, Kenny, um, who lives out, he lives out in the like, country, country of Texas, but he's the guy who got me in the dead Kennedys. I think you guys talked about it on a thread a long time ago, not like super long ago, but long enough since we've been friends. And it was like, I remember you bringing him up and I was like, so I was like, oh, that name sounds really familiar, but I don't think I've read anything by him yet. Oh, I think that was Chuck Klosterman. Okay. So I'm thinking of somebody else. Yeah. Which okay. I would also recommend checking out. He's, he's an active writer now. Okay. Yeah. Cause the name sounds really familiar like too. So I'm like, maybe I'm admitting. But Studs Terkel, you probably would have heard of uh, in your delving into Hunter Thompson, I would imagine, because he also wrote nonfiction. But okay. you talking about your grandfather and the stories, he was before Thompson, I think maybe even decades before. Okay. And he collected people's stories. So I think there's a book that he put out where it's just people over 60 telling a story okay and it's just a collection of stuff like that i think he did a lot of interviews with early mill workers and unions and stuff like that but that i sounds, got into yeah, him that... after getting into thompson okay i'll have to check that out because that sounds really cool like i'm really kind of down with that i was like oh yeah it's like that that name sounds really familiar too when she said i was like i know this name though <laughs> Yes, that's You're probably not wrong. I probably did like find him through like maybe read him, saw his name through Thompson somehow. I because f- I feel like he might have brought him up in one of his letters or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> one of those things. I haven't read those books in. It's been about. It's been almost ten years probably since I've I sat down and read, like cover to cover, read a Thompson book in a while because I had to give up some of my collection when I became a dad. Mm. Um, bills were pressing so some of my collection got lost and i've been slowly rebuilding it um as i can but like i remember like i had the huge collection because it was all there was that time period where i get weirdly obsessive book wise and i like, would buy because they were releasing them all with like that same like huge hunter s thompson font on the side um you could get them all and they looked like a nice little collection mm. um so i was buying a bunch of those at the time but yeah so it's a been about 10 years since i've read anything like fear and loathing is one of those things now talking to you about it, i'm like i need to go back and just read the book again i haven't read it in you know over 10 years and i remember sitting down and reading that it was just it was a couple days it's such a quick read i think but it sticks with you that's the other thing too and the movie helps because it gives you like some frames of references with some of the strange differences that was one of the reasons why i think it was really good that they ultimately went with gilliam because Thompson speaks in absurdities. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, and who better than a uh, Terry Gilliam to, to go after trying to show what that looks like. And I, I think that that part of the 
Python mentality came into the making of this film. Oh, absolutely. I know there was that (laughs) one part in the adrenochrome scene where the hardcore hallucinations have already started and uh, Thompson, Depp is Thompson's on the floor and he mumbles something about a llama (laughs) that's directly from an old skit. Okay. Uh, I remember the I remember the line when you said about I don't remember the line is but I do remember something about a llama so I'm like yo I remember that part because that's where things start getting distortion because it's one of those weird uh, Terry Gilliam things where Terry Gilliam's never really done like hardcore drugs mm-hmm. you know probably smoked pot probably that you know that's about it but he's never you know he's never done acid any of that stuff and that's why people were surprised that like I guess what he could convey for never having done any of those things and like you said it's that kind of Python absurdist like attitude that they had when they were making, you know, flying circus, for instance, is completely absurd, like in the way that it's structured and that it's not structured at all. Um, you know, it's not punchline joke punchline. Um, it's very stream of conscious. And it was one of those things that it's, I think it's so funny because I was telling you about growing up in a conservative household that was, and, but our parents letting us watch Python growing up. And it was one of those moments where you go like, it's so strange to realize that like half of, the things that we ended up like kind of like taking from that, that the sort of that surrealistic like absurdity of life comes from like growing up watching Python and he does it to good effect in, in, in fear and loathing. Like those just a simple angle, like he'll distort angles and give you this weird sort of like where you feel like you're like looking at people walking through water almost as they're in the middle of like a drug fueled or just like lighting, like the lighting, I think in the, in the, I keep calling it the circus circus because that's what it is in the book, but uh, the circus circus scene, for instance, like just the lighting, that harsh like pink, is what I always sticks out in my head. The simple distortion of faces, in terms of just like turning the camera just a little bit off of an angle, and maybe just kind of screwing up the focus on the lens, and you would get these weird ideas of like what you feel like the person seeing as they're like walking through. Yeah, especially if you're possibly on on ether. Yes. When you behave like a. I drunken uh, drunkard in an early Irish novel. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I know we'd get into our odd and stuff soon enough. <laughs> Much like uh, Thompson's fear about the, he said that he didn't want to take back anything that was in the book or in the story, but he was really afraid that the emphasis would be on, Hey, look drugs. Yes. It's one of those things where – and you're right because I think that it's potential. It's that people like can watch this and maybe misunderstand the point. Like the drugs aren't the point. They're just uh, you, there. I think you mentioned earlier. They're just there. It's, it's, a, it's you know, a device in the story, but it's not it's, – it's, it's one of those things where you hope people like research Thompson because Thompson has that famous quote about, you know, I can't, you know, I can't advocate all of these things. But they seem to work for me. But that doesn't mean they're. I, I always took it as his way, his way of saying like that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. This yeah. is you know he he makes it a very personal thing about this is how I operated. But that doesn't mean that you're going to get. It's that whole thing about you. You hear musicians who are like you know I feel like I, I needed to try drugs to because this musician did it and look at the music that they were putting out and it's like that's the that's you're not taking the right um. Uh, inspiration from this <laughs> yeah the the drugs didn't make them better musicians and didn't make him a better writer he was just a good writer that did 
drugs. Yeah. That's exactly it. Like, not even that. There were sick people that laughed because I think half the time he wasn't even. Uh, I think it was more him was more like whiskey and drinking more than anything. I am not productive when I drink. I'm. I'm I, I have to. I, mean, I hit that weird. I have to hit that middle. There's a middle section, um, that gray area where you're not drunk. Your buzz is perfect, but your brain's still functioning. Um, and but it's like. It's very easy. You can get to that spot, but then the problem is, is that the next drink, for me anyways, the next drink is pretty much going to put me over the line anyway. So it's kind of like, why am I going to get to this point? Because it's not going to. Yeah, I'm like you. Like I'm, I get, I get not productive when I'm drinking. Not to get too personal, but it's like I had to stop for a little bit because of the, on the podcast because I was like, oh, I'm drinking too much while we're recording. <laughs> I would be, you know, I think there's one episode where I was like, I, I can't remember what the topic was, but I was probably about five beers in by the end <laughs> and i was like yeah i'm like i told Dwayne, i was like i'm gonna stop trying to do that like recording with you like i felt bad because i was like when i did when i recorded with court i was by the end of it i was hammered because i was just <laughs> sitting there pounding beers while we did it because it's more a nervous thing too where i'm like i'm talking to people that you know i've talked to them like on a computer or on my phone you know but i've never like had an actual conversation with them mm-hmm. so you're nerd and i'm a i'm kind of like socially awkward anyways and so it was like, oh, you know, I told him, like, I got, I think I got too nervous and I just started drinking and I got too much. And I was like, I think I got too much towards the end where I don't know how much sense I was making. I was already telling them I loved them and, you know, I was so happy that I got to do it. Um, but like for you, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm got a little bit more confidence talking to people. So like this time I'm, I'm sober Sally for, for this. I'm just caffeinated too much. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of liquid courage never hurts uh no not at all play a show (laughs) i try to only have one or two drinks before right i i was always allowed to drink however much i wanted if we were playing a show on my birthday (laughs) um one time when we played a show with a band called the dwarves ah the dwarves somebody it was in another band I was in, and the singer for that band brought a friend who was drinking all our free alcohol. So oh, okay. to prove a point, <laughs> I drank faster than he did. Right. Which I don't really remember that show. Um, <laughs> there, there was another time more recently where I filled in for a friend, and I found out the show was run by this asshole that was really 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 shitty to one of my wife's friends okay (laughs) and when i found that out i was like oh i'm drunk yep but see the the last time i got that bad for me was like actually was my best friend got uh married in october of course right by halloween Mm. and nobody was doing anything the next day so we were we were on a boat in galveston and uh yeah, it was it was on. I don't even I don't recommend it. That that was a little too much for me. <laughs> even for me to be like as like I somebody who can generally pretty well hold his alcohol I was like, yeah, that was I went a little too far. As far as we getting a little I mean, not bad. I'm not an angry drunk, luckily. I'm a I just get way too silly. So Yeah. I I'm more likely to give you a hug when I'm drunk than anything. One time I did call my girlfriend at the time uh and said I, I think I left a message on her machine, but I just said, there's a bunch of guys down here talking shit about you. I'm going to take care of it. And then I turned <laughs> off my phone. She was pretty pissed. We didn't yeah. end up getting married. 
<laughs> it's happened a couple times. So like I've done, I've been, I've been there where you're just kind of like, what did I, what did I do? There was, there was one, um, oh, I know what it was. Uh, when we did the Mad Max series, we recorded that. We split it up into two episodes, but we recorded it all at once. So it was about a five and a half hour recording session. And bravo to anybody who can do a five and a half hour recording session because I was completely like blitzed by the time we were done and I was <laughs> tired. So it's like it all just starts going down. You can just feel it slipping downhill to where I couldn't when I was editing. I told Dwayne this and he started laughing at me because I was like, I couldn't remember what I said. So it was all new to me when as I was go- editing the second half of the, uh, the, the, the part two of that <laughs> series. I was like, I don't I don't remember any of this. I got to that point where I was like, I don't remember what I said. I've gotten more like that the older I got. Um, When I was in high school, I started this Basketball Diaries, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, handwritten story of all the shit I was doing. Yeah. And when I go through it now, because I'm working on typing it out and expanding it, to other nonfiction stuff I wrote about being on tour and stuff like that. I could tell at some points which drug I was on when I wrote. <laughs> Sometimes it's a different colored pen. It's in one of those black and white speckled comp comp books. Oh yeah, I have a ton of those like floating still like half finished stories in all of them, so But I, I would just see Oh, I was drunk. Look at how <laughs> bad that is. Oh, here I'm I'm ranting like I'm on acid. I've only ever once um we were crunching on a on a screenplay. We were trying to do some work for a guy. It's one of those like bad situations where they, I don't recommend getting into where you're trying to do a dude a favor, write a script for free basically, and the dude's going to try to get quote unquote funding. And we had a crunch time where we had to get like 30 pages written cuz the dude was like I want the script tomorrow. And we'd already put off enough, like we'd already like, I think we'd pushed our, our, uh, our agreed on date, like back like three weeks already. And, uh, me getting blitzed, drink, like doing 30 pages is the only time I've ever written anything good drunk. <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's like, it can happen, but generally it's going to happen once and it's never going to happen again. Uh, every other time from that, I will not like write while I drink because at least script writing, because there's a lot of parts sometimes. And if you don't watch out, like. I did another script the same way and my friend was like, I had to re we had, we have, we've got to rewrite all this cause it's, it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> like we could tell, you could tell by the end of it that I would, we just had too, I had just had too many beers in my, in my brain. So I was going all, he was like, it made no sense. Got to go back to tape. Like, uh, Dr. Thompson, when he wakes up in the hotel room, <laughs> he's got the microphone like taped to his head. Yeah, the fucking alligator tail. <laughs> I really like how they put that bit together because it covers a lot of, I feel like, parts in the book that weren't necessarily slow. Yeah. But didn't need to be completely flushed out for the film. Right. Jumping around back and forth in the tape was a really good idea. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what, that's definitely like another element of this that's like what I love about adapting like a work like this is that through set design like how gross they get those hotel those hotel rooms to look to where you're seeing like every single weird thing that they've done in them and you're just kind of like it's so you feel like at least I do I feel it every time I've watched the movie I'm like oh my god I just my brain almost explodes with how like 
I could never imagine doing this to a hotel room. Like this is so mesmerizing, but you like it, it envelops you into the story. And it's like one of those adaptive elements where it's like, you don't want to sit there and you don't have to tell every single little thing that he did, but you can visually just see the mayhem that they've caused just with the hotel rooms and how like progressively like disgusting they get. Which works perfectly for the narrative he was really trying to put out through the story about yep. excess decadence, ab- abusing the locals, <laughs> yeah, harassing the tourists. Well, and, and, and yeah, what's great is that there's almost that weird. Um, I don't want to call it. I'm trying to think of the word. It's almost like a, almost like a rebuke of himself where they go too far in the diner. Because I remember them saying, uh, I think Gilliam even said that they almost didn't want to include it because they thought it was just, it, it's, he goes, you take characters that are kind of likable and that scene, specifically Gonzo, like you almost in one scene make him completely just a despicable character. And they almost thought about not including it for that reason because they were like, we don't, we, you know, everybody's having fun. But it's almost like Gilliam was like saying like in terms of, um, it just felt it was still important though. Because you, you you need to have that moment where you realize that these guys went a little farther than, but like it, it, like you said, it flows into the narrative of that whole idea of excess, and that that's why that scene's important because it's like gone a little too far, guys. Because the way he intimidates the um, is it Ellen Barkin? Yes, it plays the waitress, and yeah, it's like in this. It's one of those times I've never been a huge fan of her. That I don't think I've seen her in a whole lot growing up. I know you, you, she's one of those '80s actresses that you remember. And the way she plays that fear on her face and um, about, like I said, these guys just gone, they just went a little too far. And I think it's important to like the narrative of like what's um, the whole idea of the, uh, the American dream and the, you know, the death of the American dream, I guess is the biggest point of it. But that whole idea of excess and you can go too far, you know, abusing the locals, for instance. (laughs) Yeah. The, the lighting changed. I feel like if the camera angle, more observant rather than participatory yes sort of helping detach a little bit and it was right near the end of the film which shit always goes really bad at the end of that kind of whirlwind because yeah they do you're right because it's like yeah the, the camera pulls back a little bit it's a little bit it's not that it's not garishly lit the way the rest of vegas is it's like this place on the like outskirts of town kind of thing that yeah, they just how much further they've taken it than they probably needed to, and kind of like I almost feel like that's the closest we get to probably what happened, like how they were. If that makes sense, like that's yeah. the that's the realistic portrayal of like the sort of you know exuberance that you know he you know him taking the narrative a little further and kind of exaggerating it. And not in a bad way, but like, you know, it's almost like that feels like that scene basically goes, but this is reality. Fluorescent light, unflattering light. Yes. Not to unserious this moment, but (laughs) I just found out when getting ready for this episode that she wore a prosthetic butt for the, the, the waitress part. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I didn't I don't know. if I didn't know that, but that makes sense. I see it now. I, I wonder if it. the wedgie pick was actually readjusting the butt. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, you might be right. Cause I remember that, that, that the minute you said it, I was like, that's the scene that I literally went to in my head. And I was just kind of like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I I really only can think of her remember her from Switch. Have you ever seen Switch? No, that's it sounds familiar but like I'm drawing uh, a blank. 1980s super misogynistic fuck of a New York 80s guy dies. Okay. And in a real quick scene, God and the devil both want him. So they send him back to Earth as a hot chick. That premise sounds really familiar. I don't know if I've seen it, but I seem to be bought like I could see seeing a trailer for something like that. So, yeah, that sounds really familiar, that concept, anyways. Yeah, I feel like there were a lot of it, it's, there were so many body switch movies in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. And this sort of goes on that. I'm going to watch something else. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if The Goonies is on for the millionth time. I don't think I could watch Goonies too many times. <laughs> I'm one of those people that like, it is one of my like, f- f- like childhood favorites. But I get when people or somebody goes like, "That's not," they're not a fan of it. I'm kind of that's a movie that I acquiesce with people. Like, I can understand it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I know a lot of it is nostalgia. That's one of those films. For instance, like I was watching. Um, it's amazing to me some of the stuff that I'm like in the Monster Squad because my son's a huge fan of the Monster Squad. But there's some. Th- language that goes on in that movie that i'm like don't say that to people the 80s don't ever say that yes it's like please don't say that to anybody ever i don't want to hear that coming out of your mouth yeah i I, gotta go ahead oh no i gotta make that amendment whenever we watch it because like i enjoy the movie overall and i'm like but i'm like that one thing i'm just kind of like yeah don't let's let's not we don't need to utter those words ever yeah i don't like that it's there yeah but it does emphasize that he's a shithead bully yeah. <laughs> he talks like that. But it wasn't, you know, that's just what everybody said. Well, not everybody, but it was obviously allowable enough that it's in so many movies that I rewatched oh, yeah. from my childhood. Like, holy shit. And it sticks out more now than it, than it when you were a kid. You probably, it probably just kind of rolled over you. But when you get to be older and you're kind of a little bit more mature and you go like, ooh. Cause I knew dudes who talked like that. That was just kind of like didn't. Those were the dudes I usually wouldn't hang out with. But because mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you don't. Yeah, you're not worth my time. I have a natural inclination against bullies, anyways. Yeah, cause you talk like that, and then I just recently turned off. Uh, my kids too. We were watching Blazing Saddles. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just at the point where he. I mean, he's talking relatively well, but he's really good at repeating stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I say I love you a thousand times, but I say fuck once. Yep. And I think the other day we asked him if he wanted to put on his jacket. And I think he said, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) See, I'm dealing with it from like the other because he's seven. So now it's like curse words are uh, fun. They're magic. They're like, that's that that taboo thing you're not supposed to do at his age. So he tries to slip them by us every once in a while. And we try our best to not, but it's one of those things where, you know, I always tell people, like, you know, language is language. That stuff, you know, it's some of it's naturally just the way I talk and naturally the way my, you know, my wife especially. People don't realize she's on an episode of Cinema Psyops. You want to hear how she talks? She's worse than me. Um, and was, was hers Cujo? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's That would be, that would be, that's, and that was like, I think she recorded that not long after we got married. Um, but yeah, she has like she has the worst uh, <laughs> of the two of us. Hers is a, hers is a lot worse than mine. So she's the one who's constantly having to be like, nope, 
nope, nope. I gotta stop myself. I'll look at her sometimes and be like, come on, man. <laughs> I remember my dad tried when I when we were growing up. Uh, what were the the replacement curse words? And I don't know oh, if yeah. your, your parents had any. Oh, yes. We we were like, that's all we were allowed to pretty much say. Like, my parents don't. I've never heard my mom really even curse until we got older. Like, to like pretty much in my adult years is when I've actually heard my mom use a curse word. Other than that, yeah, it was the uh, the replacement ones. Son of a brick. Yep. Judas Priest. <laughs> Ours was the weirdest stuff, too, though, because it would be like my mom, you know, make sure that you say shoot instead of shit. And it's like, what? Is it? That's not what? Come on. Yeah. I think around the time of high school, my dad stopped using the fake words. And the yeah. Judas Priest was instead of Jesus Christ, I think. <laughs> horse feathers. Horse shit. I almost think Judas Priest would be an interesting way to make that. Make that a comeback. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> Judas Priest. But he's, you may have seen, uh, he's Doug Wilson yes. on, on my Facebook. Uh, so he, he lets a lot of expletives fly on occasion. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember what the post was about, but I remember, oh, I think it was when he was trying to do the, um, wasn't he, didn't he have a uh, petition? And we, you guys, this is when we were first talking about, I guess the whitehouse.gov was going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like him, your dad being in the, on that conversation to a degree. Because uh, he was trying to get something situated and it wasn't letting him do anything. Yeah, that was, that was right around the, when they started dismantling the White House's website because yeah. 45 is taking the message right to the people Yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. Like all the Ugh. great minds. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. like my Both my parents voted for 45 and they, like, they get head shakes from me every time I see them. And my mom, even the other day, was just kind of like, somebody needs to take his phone away. I was like, you think? He did get a letter from, I think, the Office of Government Ethics pointing out that when he deletes his tweets, especially, yeah. you know, his misspelled, his misspelled <laughs> tap. tap not too long ago. <laughs> yep. Um, deleting those goes against uh, government record keeping law. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yep. I remember, I think you were court posted one of those articles where I first read about it and I hadn't thought about it from that angle at all. I was like, that's interesting, but it makes sense. It's just, it's updated conversation, you know, in terms of, uh, the way the internet works, which is that one weird area people always forget. That's like, you know, you can, it still kind of qualifies if you're the president of the United States, jackass. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of notice that he only uses his old Twitter and sometimes yeah. he repeats himself from the. The yeah, POTUS doesn't he retweet? One. Yeah, or does he retweet the po- uh, the POTUS one retweets him? Yes, I think I've seen before. I'm just kind of like, dude. So does let Barack have it? You know, let him keep it. Yeah, give it back. Why not? His tweets were better. I will say this: that was the one thing that got me through. Because, dude, like I, I've never think I've never I don't think I've ever let a presidential election ever affect me. And this was the first time where I told my wife, I was like, it wasn't. It was like, just it left this like weird sinking feeling that we would get to that point when i woke up the next day and saw that he had been elected and i just remember telling her i was like i went through this couple days funk where i was like i just can't believe this you know it has it doesn't even have to do for me as much as about like a right versus left thing as much as it has to do with the fact that he's a full-blown moron yeah that's what boggled my i was like this man can't speak and we like he's our president i i i'm Christina was laughing at me for days because she's like, you just were like shell shocked. 
at the idea of that. I was like, it just bothered me. I never had it before, you know. Um, I remember specifically when I, in 2004, voting against Bush, and I never had that, I never had that opinion of Bush. Never had that opinion of Obama. Like, never was one of these people who was like, oh, I can't believe this person got elected. I was actually really thankful when Obama got elected, but bless, I was like, this was the first time I'd ever had a president that I was just like, really, guys? Like, this guy? <laughs> the this reality guy? show guy? The reality show guy? I love I love it when people like be like, we don't care what celebrities think. But, like, but you elected one. Yeah. That makes no sense. That is his – he's an American citizen. Yep. And he's old enough. Those are his qualifications <laughs> yeah. for the fucking job. Has he drained the swamp and filled the White House with it? Yes. And I think that was the thing that I was just like – I was like he's legitimately – we're going to put people – you know, you could look at this – go with either – besides rich cronies, buddies of his, you know, somebody like a Jeff Sessions who's been – if you're talking about draining the swamp, because we're going to put a guy into a cabinet position who is as much a part of the elite that you railed against in your lead up to the election. Yeah, I was, uh, I don't know. And Ted Cruz would have been, I think just as bad. I keep telling people that though too. Like Cruz would have been just as bad. Cruz would have been just as bad with more religious overtones. Yes. Here's the funny thing. I can't name my source on this. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> journalism, I can't name my source. Um, it is somebody that I have known for a very long time. Um, she used to run in circles in Houston uh, with the uh, upper echelon of um, the Houston area back when he was, uh, I don't know if he was assistant attorney general. He was living in Houston. And the interesting thing about Cruz is that Cruz is one of those dudes. Number one, like it made me laugh that somebody – this recently some i don't remember what politician was like only was it or was it steve bannon who was like only rich people should be allowed to vote cruz very much has that same opinion like i've heard from this person like that is his thought process he does not care for poor people so like that facade of cruz is very very real that is it, it is a facade like he he only cares what the the upper echelon the elite think um and doesn't care for the uh the the lower classes um, opinions yes it's it and i thought that was really fascinating that's actually what i had to tell somebody made me so vehemently against Cruz more than anything when they were doing the uh primaries it was just like we don't really we really don't want that guy either like that dude's dangerous like he's as dangerous trump's dangerous because he's dumb yeah stupid is a special kind of danger though yes and it, that that's a more unpredictable danger is what i think bothers me so much about him Mm-hmm. Like Cruz is dangerous, but in that way that you can kind of see at least like the like where he's going with things. So you can kind of prepare yourself a little bit better. Trump is that guy that you're just like, I think I've I've had days where I've woken up and I stayed offline for a couple of days and I'll wake up and, you know, start scrolling through Facebook and go, holy Jesus. <laughs> like fucking seriously. What did he say this time? It is a game of what did he say this time? Somebody needs to. It's like if Captain America were real, he'd walk into the White House and crush his little android phone. Kick it across the Rose Garden. Maybe throw it where that that guy that climbed the White House fence and was running around for, what, 20 minutes before they, they caught him? Yeah. Last week <laughs> or a couple weeks ago. Throw, throw the phone there. Put it, hollow out a dictionary. Yeah. Or uh, where else could you hide Trump's phone that he would never look? 
a box of tampons. Well, you could probably hide it at the White House because he's hardly there now. So, yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I will not take vacations. Barack Obama takes so many vacations. There's no time for vacation. We're not going to be big. We're not going to be big on vacation. You know, there's so many things. It's sort of interesting, Chris. The White House is like this incredible place, right? It represents so much. And you're there for a limited period of time. If you're at the White House and you have so much work to do, why do you fly so – why do you leave so much? Why – you know, you think you'd want to work, 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 straighten it out, get it done, fix it up, make it great, and then when you finish, you can be proud. But, boy, are we a mess. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's a Mar-a-Lago – Something I'm like not, that. We should like pronounce it so he doesn't get the yeah. name recognition. Very Lego. Yeah. <laughs> so far, he's spent seven out of the last 13 weekends down in Mar-a-Lago. And it's cost us over $20 million, putting him on track to beat Obama's eight-year travel expenses in just his first year. Oh, wow. It's about three, because now most of these numbers have been projected off reported especially since everybody's doing all the comparisons to obama yeah these are off obama trips of similar length and staying at similar locations okay they didn't have right. the extra benefit personal benefit for him where there was no government money going into obama towers or yeah <laughs> anything like or that. your golf course yeah so I was reading an article recently um, about how I think it was from the New Yorker just about how like like it was talking about his like disrespect for just the office in general was like the whole thing like Camp David's too boring to be at because, you know, he's like, you know, I know how how enjoyable Camp David is. It's like, well, you get there. It looks nice. And then about 30 minutes later, you're done with it. And I was like, well, yeah, we, we, we get it. <laughs> it's not a reading president. No, um, probably not so although if any place out in the middle of fucking nowhere has great cell service it would be someplace like camp david yeah he's gonna say you can't tweet from the woods but he could on his unsecured phone yeah using the disappearing text message apps and private email <laughs> servers i'm not gonna this is gonna talking about technology i didn't even know something like those existed until trump was president is what's the worst thing I didn't even, I was like, there's an app that deletes your stuff after a bit. I was like, that's amazing. I didn't even know this existed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sh I don't know if it, it helped influence the creation of Snapchat, but that was the first, I've never had a Snapchat. That's, that's something the kids have. Yes, I have one and I've never used it. I, I don't know if you can hear my dog. Yeah. <laughs> Could you hold on one second? It's Sunday. There's no mail. There's no mailman. Okay? I'll be done soon. You were saying technology, Camp David. Yeah. <laughs> that is the other thing, too, that I, I think this is something I thought about. Like I said, in terms of like the the use of journalism and information that we've been seeing recently, it's funny to think that, you know, I almost have this impression that Trump thought he was going to be able to just, like, do whatever he wanted to with no consequence as the the leader of the free world or whatever. Yeah. And technology, like, in the day and age of the Internet, that's not possible. <laughs> no, nothing nothing is hidden. No. And you, you can control who you allow in the White House to an extent. Yeah. And have your 
Skype sessions with the reporter from alexjones.com or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Good old InfoWars. Yeah, InfoWars. Will you kiss our ass? Yes. You're yes. legitimate. Yeah. Do you criticize me? You're a liar. Yeah. You're fake news. Here's a video of you saying this. No, wrong. That's the thing that has bothered me the most. Is like we have like, like back in the day, you'd have to be like, you know, you might have a newspaper report and maybe something on tape about what, you know, we, the only reason that Watergate broke wide open was because we had the tapes. That's it. Like before that, like you think about it, Nixon could have gotten away with it if not for the leaking of, you know, if not for, for deep throat, any of that stuff happening. It's like, that's what I'm just kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. It feels like that things are getting closer, like building blocks are getting a little bit more in place, but it's still that idea that like we have a lot more, we have a lot better record keeping. So I can't believe that, you know, that they still want to operate this way, especially as spokespeople. Did you, there's a video that I saw yesterday of how dangerous Trump is. And it's all from, Kellyanne Conway when she was still working for was a cruise yes. she was working for it's all tape of her about how dangerous it would be f to get Trump into office we could just brush it off but it shows you the danger of just saying things that aren't true and and getting people to believe it and getting 20,000 people in a rally today to just lap it up as if it's true it's completely transparent Donald Trump's tax returns aren't I'd like to see those be transparent and people start to see that he's not he says he's for the little guy, but he's actually built a lot of his businesses on the backs of the little guy. And he's a lot of little guys through eminent domain or through uh -huh. not paying um, contractors after you've built something. The little guys have you know, suffered. So that, that the question is going to be about these Trump victims. The reason the messaging has gotten better since Alex's uh, barn bird of an article two weeks ago is they're starting to talk about victims of Trump University, victims of Trump in Atlantic City. Before that, it was his conservative apostasies. Now it's actually you, you're for the little guy, but you've built your business on the backs of the little guy. Yeah. And, insulting them as lying Ted and John Kasich who eats like a slob and everything else that was said today which is fairly unpresidential then I, I think he should just ignore them I mean if he wasn't worried about them why not just ignore these two people he thinks aren't actual competitors I actually think they got under his skin today but <laughs> it's vulgar and uh, this is the equivalent really in New Hampshire of Donald Trump skipping the debate in Iowa it cost him votes and I think people will think thrice now when they go into that ballot box and say look I've tried to send a message all along through Donald Trump to the establishment but now I got to get serious about sending somebody to the White House and do I want somebody who hurls personal insults or who goes and talks about philosophical differences like that money 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 obviously you'll flip-flop as quick as you can I guess for that that's the only thing I can assume is would, would cause that that I, I mean he he does make his sycophants rich it seems in general I mean he rips off people that work for him pretty much on a daily basis I don't oh yeah know how many lawsuits have been against him for stiffing people on the bill well i didn't like it so i'm not gonna pay for it yeah <laughs> fuck you dude well it's just the idea that i me me and the wife had this conversation a couple days ago where the biggest thing for me is when people are like well he's a successful businessman but is he really <laughs> no uh, not really if you dive into like his thing he's really not that successful of a businessman he makes a lot more he does a lot more he's made a lot more bad business decisions than he has good and if he's made a good decision it's probably something that is just he got lucky on <laughs> and he already had the the base capital yep to go to go on it and the government bailed him out yeah 
So I guess if we move everything up another level, <laughs> he runs the government like his businesses. Hopefully we don't turn into the USFL or oh, one of the that other. That was actually the one I had never, I'd kind of barely paid attention. Like I always thought, oh, he's a celebrity, like reality TV star or whatever he is. It was that episode they had, there's a, is it 30 for 30? Oh, the ESPN like thing? Serious? Yeah, and they, mm-hmm. and I watched the episode on the and how he basically demolished the USFL because I remember the USFL like back in the day. I'm not a sports ball person anymore, but back in the day I was when I was younger, and I remember the USFL because a lot of like the football players I grew up with came from there. Oh yeah, so, there was a Memphis team. Yep, and I didn't realize that like how like how they just went away one day, you know. So I just didn't think anything of it, and then I remember it was a couple of years ago. It was right after. Um, I have this weird obsession with hockey. I'm not a huge hockey fan, but I like hockey documentaries. And I watched something <laughs> on Wayne Gretzky. So it popped up another episode there. Like, it was like, oh, this is one's on the USFL. So I watched that one. And I was like, oh, wow. So he ran that into the ground. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, he wanted all these changes made. And they were, like, I guess running neck and neck with the NFL. And when little Donnie didn't get his way, he started, like, I guess, was he trying to take away money or convince people to do it the way he thinks they should do it? And then they were gone a year later the best deals yeah the best deals most Big. tremendous best deals trump stakes <laughs> yeah those were successful trump stakes at what and they were at some we like where were they at uh, the weirdest place in the world too like where you would not think to go buy stakes yeah maybe a department store or something like yeah. that it's like a higher end department store that I've seen. I've seen it before in my brain. Somebody's going to probably yelling at us right now. They're like, it's <laughs> not connected in my brain, but it's like the weirdest. It's like, yeah, it's like a, a higher end, like richer, like department store. Um, and it was like Trump steaks. Like, why would I go to that place to buy steaks, man? I didn't even know about Trump university till the, till the primaries. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> no, I, why would any logical person think that that could be a thing? Yeah. <laughs> He's managed to defy logic for me in a lot of places. That's the I had a long conversation not to bring religion necessarily up into it, but I think it's an important thing. But the people that I've had the biggest issue with, and me and Dwayne have this conversation because he it's just one area we me and him agree on it. Um, in terms of religion, I was like, dude, like the people who bother me the most are the people the the religious right that is like trying to like he's a gift from God. I'm like, um that's I was like, you guys are really doing some mental gymnastics. Because growing, having grown up in the church, I was like, I understand. I've read the Bible, and this man does not exude even close to any principle. If you want to talk about a good principle that would be in the Bible, that's not there. I was like, you guys are doing some tremendous mental gymnastics, which is why I'm an agnostic. I was like, I, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, so he, you guys are he would be one of the. Far. Sorry, didn't mean to talk over you there. Oh no, you're all good. I was I had just finished though. So. Um, he would have been president of say Sodom. Or something like that. Pillar of Salt president. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The funny thing about that, I was re- I actually read a really good thing on Pathos they were talking about in conjunction to Sodom um, and how, like, this, the quote unquote, this, these religious re- Republicans right now are, they are the embodiment of it because people think, people tend to go the, the, and I think wrong, they go the, the homosexual way when they talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, but that wasn't really what. It even says in the Bible that wasn't really what their sin was. Their sin was the things that we see from Donald Trump. Yeah. 
this exuberance, this this over like this materialistic kind of um, attitude that he has, like gold plated mansion. Ugh. Champion of the common man, you mean? Champion of the common man, like it's. it's <laughs> like, I don't know that bothered the religious aspects of it, and that just kind of like I don't. Tr- I have a mistrust for rich people generally, and I especially have one for like a guy like Donald Trump. Uh, and I just boggle my brain that people, the, the common man, would be the ones who put him into office. Which I actually think I could be wrong. I think I read a study somewhere they said that it was surprisingly actually how much um, upper white dudes helped put him into office. I was like, that doesn't surprise me. Like the upper class helped put him, push him through too. I don't know what their end game would be for that, but money, money, all the deals, all the deals, the best deals, every single one of the deals. I don't know how NATO works. We're going to (laughs) renegotiate everything. I'm not even going to lie. I don't fully know how NATO works, but I'm not running for president. (laughs) So (laughs) what was the, the one graphic novel that I really like called Safe Area Garage Da. Okay, I know that. I don't. I think I've read it. Um, that sounds really familiar. It was a journalist who became, or also was, a graphic novelist, and it was about his trips with UN convoys and spending time in uh, in Garage Da. Okay, and other that sounds areas, really familiar. Slobodan Milosevic. Oh, God, my grasp of history. Your brother's probably yelling at me. Uh, was it the S- Bosnia, Serbia? Yes, Bosnia. Yeah, the that was the biggest. That's the conflict that sticks out in my head from the nineties. Yes. Yeah. It was Bosnia? Yeah, the whole Bosnia is the Serbian. Yeah, but those the, those are the two countries that stick out in my head. So I'm going like, I think that's right. <laughs> Somebody could be yelling at us about that as well. And I'm just like, but I could swear that's where that conflict was. Cause I've never seen a Serbian film, but I know that like, that's the, they, the guy, the director tried to make the comment that that was like the war influenced, like his depiction in that movie. I wouldn't know. Cause I refuse to watch it. So it's kind of like uh, Dwayne was telling me he listened to when they did the, um, the girl next door episode of cinema psyops. And he was like, he goes, I listened to that episode and it made me go, yeah, I never need to see this movie. Listen to that. And that was good enough for me. And I was like, yeah, me, me, me too. <laughs> you don't feel good after it. If you do, Not, you've yeah. got some introspection yeah. you need doing. Absolutely. Well, it's, kind of like you said, it's the whole the whole point of um, fear and loathing. You know, like when people take the, the drug angle, you know, there's so many works that like, it's funny that if you, you know, the old joke me and Dwayne we were t- talking about when we talked about Fight Club, for instance, was the same thing. Like if you see a dude... If you were in college and you see it or you go to a guy's house and he has a big framed poster of Fight Club, you might want to leave because um, he probably didn't take the right message from that movie. <laughs> um, and I see that it, it's popular. I remember that movie being popular among people. I was just kind of like, yeah, I wouldn't want to hang out with you. And I particularly like the book and I like the movie, but I was like, oh, I'm not spending my time around you guys at all. But that's what's funny, yeah. Like the beer, the, the drug message for me, like I, I, I don't know if it was the group of friends that I was around. Like I had some that were very much like, yo, it's all about drugs, and that was you know cool with them. But like I said, for me, it was really I got to introduce me to a writer who's become one of my favorite. You know, he's a, like one of my like top tier like writers, um, influence wise. And I told you like how it was that, that I woke up on my birthday back in two thousand five. And the first thing I saw when I, I had, and I did have a computer at the time, so we would go over to my my ex father in law's house and do laundry, and uh, got on the computer because he let us get on his computer and like you know we wanted to check out 
whatever. Um, I think this is in the MySpace days. Yeah. Um, Pre-Facebook. And I remember logging in and they're like, Hunter S. Thompson killed himself. And I was like, that's awesome, dude. <laughs> On my birthday, no less. I was traveling somewhere and I was in the car by myself listening to the radio and they announced it. Okay. And I was just sitting there in the the back seat of a car in a big empty parking lot somewhere and listened to it. I was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to yell it, but I just kind of was at my, was at my, my Mormon fought my, my, my ex Mormon father-in-law's house. And yeah, I just whispered underneath my breath. <laughs> yeah. You can't just yell out curses. Yeah. Probably could have. Would have looked <laughs> for dramatic effect of anything. Blast. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, that has one of my favorite, like, uh, um, on the in terms of the, the end of the film, too, is that has, like, that great uh, quote about um, Dr. Gonzo or Oscar Zeta Acosta. Um, was it too weird to live? Too rare to die. Too rare to die. I was like, my brain's, like, going to stop on me for some reason. He <laughs> <laughs> was yeah. one of God's prototypes. Because I thought Oscar wrote a book. Or possibly yeah, he has a book because I, I and now I don't remember the, the the name of it, but I was like, yeah, he wrote a book that, I, and it was around the same time. Because the funny thing is that the seriousness of the what's really interesting is that I think the whole movie, you you catch it, you don't you catch a glimpse of it at the beginning, but they were working on like an actual like hardcore case uh, involving the police. I think in Chicago. I think so. If I'm remembering correctly, that it was basically like this guy. It was like a basically either like a protester or kind of a counterculture like person who was involved with uh, really big in politics. There was, uh, or maybe with the Chicano scene, like the the uprising. Or the uprising is not the right word, but there's a, a big contingent in Chicago of uh, Chicano rights. I remember that he was the Oscar Zayacosta was part of, and this guy who was also like a big leader in it was murdered by the police. And that was actually the case that they were – why they were talking to each other in Los Angeles because they both had to get out of Chicago because they were – they had a little bit too much heat coming down on them. Yeah. And then in Los Angeles, they had to leave to – they went ahead and went to Vegas so they could like flesh it out more as the actual – I guess what actually happened. So they had the – yeah, the mint the, – the race was kind of like a an excuse to go. But they were still trying to work on this one particular um, – piece that i want to say thompson ended up publishing it was definitely in rolling stone if i remember i'm trying to like my collection on the books is like i think it's in the great shark hunt but i want to say it was a piece that he was doing for rolling stone at the time which is funny because he has such a love-hate relationship with uh jan was it jan werner (laughs) yeah the uh the head of rolling stone at the time some of their their correspondence i would definitely recommend people read because he sends some vile things to him oh yeah (laughs) I, I never I wasn't ever sure if it was Jan or Jan. I think it might have been Jan. I might be saying Jan because I'm American and dumb. We say we 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 say it how we see it sometimes. That's um, right. We, I think we, it is Jan Warner. Now that I think about it, now that you said that, I'm like I think you were correct. I've probably been holding you for quite some time. Oh, it's all I good. Have. It's a bit fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if we need to wrap up, we can wrap up. <laughs> oh, I mean, we'll we'll probably head that way before too long. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't keeping you up late on a school night. I know you're behind me in time, but yeah, we're about six. I got about 
I would say about 30, probably 30 more minutes at the most. That will we'll get um, wrapped up by then for sure. Sweet. And uh, yeah, this has been a blast, I think. Oh, yeah, no. Absolutely. <laughs> we may have to do uh, where the Buffalo Roam at some point. Yes. Um, what are your favorite parts of this movie? Or the, your favorite thing about this movie, since we want to keep it to less than a half hour. You know, for me, um, favorite parts to... I wish I could. I wish I had the memory to remember the whole thing. But I, my favorite section of the thing of the movie is the wave speech. I love the way it's shot. I kind of love the kind of somber like tone that Depp's voice takes when he's like actually recounting it. Kind of the way things are spliced together, and it gives you. It's the one moment I think we're in the movie where we get the serious side of what is going on, um, and it really clues you in into like there that Thompson had a purpose. I think to like this whole shebang and if, if if the wave speech is anything that that's the probably my favorite aspect i just wish i could remember it better than i used to i only know the high crest you know you could look out at uh and see where the high water mark was and where the waves came came back and uh you know the idealism of the 60s and uh into the 70s and you know the whole idea of the death of the american dream that's one of my favorite like aspects of that of the film itself yeah, I th- that's that's the part I gravitate to a lot. I think it starts out with um... strange memories on this nervous night in Las Vegas. Has it been five years? Six? It seems like a lifetime. The kind of peak that never comes again. San Francisco in the middle '60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. But no explanation, no mix of words or music or memories can touch that sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time in the world, whatever it meant. There was madness in any direction, at any hour, you could strike sparks anywhere. There was a fantastic universal sense that whatever we were doing was right, that we were winning. And that, I think, was the handle. That sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense. We didn't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. So now, less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. And with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark. That place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. And what I think is topical in terms of that is like I'm hoping that that energy, if I can say there's been one plus side to 45 being president, which is giving him too much credit, (laughs) is that it feels like it's energized a lot of people into politics that weren't previously that maybe didn't pay it as much attention to where they're looking at they're starting to look at their local politics and realize. And so that's kind of what I hope happens. I hope we don't get to that. 
I hope this isn't a moment like that where we we get energized and then we lose it. We lose the the path somehow. I hope that this is the moment where we can actually really see that we can make a change and make a difference, and that we just have to keep pushing forward and not get tired. Because that's their whole goal. Their whole goal. The whole gut, like especially forty five and Bannon, their whole goal is to make us tired. Yes, so much shit splattering off the fan that you just give up. Yeah, distraction, salt water, and sink. That's the only thing that worries me is like uh, is that we let the distractions become the the story and not the actual dangerous stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I I I try to balance myself on that because it's easy to jump on. Look, he doesn't know how to spell a three-letter fucking word, or that stuff is fun. I, I'm not even yeah. ever gonna deny that. That stuff is fun. It's 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 where that becomes your your focus is where you got to make sure you're like, let's focus on the actual the the dangerous stuff. That's why I'm pretty thankful for you in court because y'all kind of keep me. I'm not a news source guy, <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're both in Abe Lincoln's top hat. So I think I get a lot of my stuff from them too. Yeah, I, I uh, finally typically. joined there. Um, so I think I didn't even know and I saw you had liked something. I was like, oh, hey, Darren's here. Awesome. So <laughs> I know somebody at least. I don't I, talk to anybody in there. I just kind of read stuff. So I don't know if I have the time to start a conversation in that group because it's serious. Oh, yeah. No, it is. It's, it's, it's great. But it's I love so the, serious that I. Yeah, I love the knowledge I've gotten from them. I think most of what I've fought, what most of what I'm getting knowledge wise is you court and being in that group because it's such a a huge um, mishmash of uh, of sources. You know, that's what I appreciate. Check your sources. Oh, yeah. If you're getting a lot of information and it's all kind of lining up, then it's, that's great. That's the stuff that I like, so. I get carried away on occasion, but. I have this thing about not kind of trying to like, to, like if I post something and somebody wants to try to argue with me, I'm just kind of like, nah. Or something happens where I was like, <laughs> when I posted that thing and I was like, I woke up the next day, I was like, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> All it was fun comments. to read through, but it was oh man, it was it was uh, it was interesting to wake up to one day. Just be like, oh, I wasn't even intending that. I thought we were having fun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so too. Yeah, I thought so too. People but... get uh, people get upset. Like I don't. Do I think number one? I think I made the joke to my brother. I was like, Trump's not as smart as Hitler, and Hitler wasn't that smart a guy either. So, <laughs> especially with people that. I know I'm not going to have a dialogue or discourse with. Yeah. I go straight to satire because yeah. why it's all you can really fun. do. Yeah. yeah. If you're cause yeah, you're not going to um, change if that person's in that mindset, you're not going to change their, their mind over Facebook. But if you can at least kind of, I think some people, I hope I've met some people that I know are like on more on the Trump side, but sarcasm kind of, as long as you're not being, too much of a douchebag <laughs> <laughs> if they get the, the the appreciation of you like it's like posting onion articles did you see i think i posted it in the psycho semanticast group uh, somebody got a hold of a letter that 45's lawyer sent to the onion a few yes, years ago 45's lawyer is it the same name as that dude he was pretending to be i thought it was it was I something th- owen if i remember correctly i but think so yeah. it might be off but yeah, no, I did. I read that. That correct. Oh, that was one of the funniest things I've ever read. It's the onion, Ooh. dude. It's the fucking onion. Which, who knew that they would be the Nostradamus of our time? And oh yeah, some of these 
things that I have to double check and make sure. Oh yeah, are no, for sure. Articles. That is the the one mind the that's the thing that is very like there has been times where I've seen stuff posted that's real and I had to sit there and go let me make sure this is not the onion real quick or another site like the onion. Cause it's like, it's, some of that stuff is very like our reality has become satire, I guess. Yeah. This president. So we've turned a corner. It's, it's interesting. We spoke about W Bush a little bit earlier and I thought he was going to be the worst president in my lifetime. Very nice words, but happens to be wrong. At least until I don't know what, <laughs> robo hitler gets elected yeah i would i i really do agree like I, I was talking to Dwayne about the same thing and even he's kind of like Dwayne rides very much middle of the road compared to me and he still is like no like this dude is we were making me and the wife were making jokes about you know like look at how outspoken you know w's come back out a little bit more against trump and it's kind of because he's like i ain't the worst one anymore <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that look on your face when you're not the worst president anymore. And he's, yep. in all likelihood, and in most perceptions, a war criminal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, There's not, yeah, I, I could say if we go by what little knowledge I have of, in terms of, like, the rules of contact, I mean, he really kind of, I mean, he really is. I mean, I, I, it sounds like hyperbole to say, but I don't think it is. I think, like, they did things, like him and Cheney, I think it was more Cheney. Uh, yeah. than anything, but still, you're not, I don't think you're wrong, so. Cheney's kind of like Diet Trump. He, well, even Dick Cheney doesn't like Donald Trump. It's just even funnier. Yeah. <laughs> Cheney like, even spoke out against him. If Cheney. Uh, when the devil speaks out against you, what, <laughs> you're doing something wrong. Yeah. If the Pope, Dick Cheney, and <laughs> somebody else all think you're an asshole. You might be an asshole. You might be an asshole. It did increase my uh, my timeline. As soon as the election happened, I knew I needed yeah. to start before he did. And yeah. Hey, I'm I'm glad you did, dude. Because like I said, you've been. It's been. I've really been enjoying watching it, and I'm like I've enjoyed the playing around the format. And like I told you, uh, especially after listening to the um, the Myron episode where you guys didn't even really talk about the movie, <laughs> how much I just enjoyed y'all's conversation. So I was like, I, I was more appreciative of that. Cause I was like, that was a really good conversation. Well, thank you. Like getting the, those and see, well, and seeing, you know, knowing, having talked to you enough and then really kind of just started recently, like seeing Myron and a lot of things I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like, uh, it gives you an appreciation of somebody that you've seen on in the same online groups for a while. So, really enjoyed that and then like i said i to watch i watched the central park five because you and vanessa were talking about it and i was like i want to make sure i know this because my wife was very familiar with the case and with the uh she had seen the documentary but she and she'd been pushing me to so that pushed me into finally checking it out so i felt bad too because i was like you've had a scientist on you had somebody involved in in uh criminal justice on i was like i'm 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 neither of those things but you're a smart interesting dude and I appreciate that. No, this has been this has been really fun. And like I said, it, I really I've been digging what you've been doing. So just keep on with what keep on that path. Just keep getting those different voices out there. It's been really, really cool. I can't wait. And I probably tomorrow I'll be listening to the one with Danny. So it is on my it is on my queue. Awesome. That, that was a fun talk for sure. And this was a really great talk. And before we wrap things up here, please tell everybody in a way better than I could. 
how to hear more of your awesome conversations and where to uh, interact with you? The best place to go is if you want to listen to uh, the podcast that I do with my brother, Watch, Read, Listen, would be to go to watchreadlisten.net. This is where you can find every episode. If not that, the best place really right now is Watch, Read, Listen podcast. We have a Facebook page where we post all the new episodes, but then we do have a group, which is very small um, at the moment. But if you ask to join it and you're listening to this, I will more than likely just let you join or somebody else will catch you too. Um, it was great because my phone was acting up the other day and uh, Ricky actually caught uh, Boz and brought him into the group. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> my phone was acting up and I couldn't get to it and he did before I did. So I was like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, if, you, if, they're, if, they're, if you're in the communities that we're all in, everybody's welcome and uh, promote the hell out of your stuff as well because I, I, like I said, I'm all for everybody's spreading the word on their shows and you know and just keeping that up so a lot of unique voices oh yeah 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 and it's a lot of it i I love i love a lot of the different the most of the groups that i'm in it's like i love the the difference i always tell people i I do podcasting i have my trifecta of um the reason i got into podcasting would definitely be otc cinema psyops and and then the podcast under the stairs finding them helped refine what i did and then the the like relationships that I have with you is because of those shows. So it's like, hey, that's the uh, I've really loved the community and meeting all the cool people that I have. So that's definitely really cool. Um, but I had a blast talking about the world today, the world that used to be, different ways to look at it, a little bit of a kinetic frenzy in the approach to stories, the importance of the press, and I, I think we had a pretty pretty good scope of conversation oh, yeah. <laughs> today and support a free press uh, they're doing a lot of work right now to fight against the bullshit i think a little bit more than they had in the past i think they got comfortable yeah speak up when you see some bullshit just like dr thompson thanks david well, i'm happy to come back anytime you want me to so hopefully people enjoy listening to me ramble um <laughs> as i notoriously do so i'm gonna hold you to that So until that happens, thanks everybody for being here on the long strange trip that it has been. Take care of each other. Remember to duck and cover. Don't take any guff from those fucking swine.